This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now Now let's get get weird. Welcome back to another episode of All the Sins Worldwide. I hope that you enjoyed the interview that we just had last week. It was an amazing opportunity, and I am so thankful that Demetria was able to join us this week. Jess has an amazing case that she's going to cover if you want to jump right in. Okay. So today I want to discuss with all of you the the murder of 16-year-old Sylvia Likens. Um, from Indianapolis, Indiana, and this case is considered to be the worst crime ever committed in their state by Indiana citizens. Okay. So, I mean, and this was all the way in 1965, and they still consider this to be one of the worst in their state. Okay. So, um, I do want to let everybody know that we're going to get into some pretty heavy stuff in here, and it does involve 16-year-olds, so... Before warned. Yes. It's a big one. Yeah. So Sylvia Likens has been described as a friendly, confident, and lively girl. And she was the third of five children to Lester and Betty Likens, who were in desperate need of money. So they were really tight on cash with this traveling fair concessions job that they were doing. So they were pretty tight on money. And in 1965, they left town to join a different traveling carnival, leaving Sylvia and her sister Jenny back in their hometown. So Gertrude was a divorced mother of seven that Betty had met at Sylvia and Jenny's school. Mm -hmm. So at least she wasn't like a total stranger. She had met her once before. Once before. So she thought, hey, she might be a good person to watch my kids for a while. And so they kind of talked about it a little bit and they agreed on a price of $20 a week for the girls' room and board at the house. The girls moved in with Gertrude and her seven children. So there's a lot of a lot of people running around in this house. Yes. And Gertrude is not a very pleasant lady. So having nine children in a house, and she's a single mother too. And the first two weeks went by without any any big issues. Like Sylvia's sister Jenny had polio, so she had a brace on her leg. So and because of that, Sylvia offered to do a lot of the chores around the house. For the both of them. So then she took on both her chores and Jenny's chores in order to make sure everything is done while not making Jenny overwork herself with her foot. Right. And they regularly attended church and Sunday school with Gertrude's children. The seven children is Paula, Stephanie, John, Marie, Shirley, James, and Dennis Lee Wright Jr. But eventually the payment for the girls' room and board started coming in late. And that's when she really kind of snapped on them. That's when the whole thing just kind of started to go downhill. So she's getting really irritated and pissed. So she's taking it out on the children. Mm-hmm. But just Sylvia and Jenny. So her kids were just off doing their own thing. Right. These two kids that aren't even hers. Granted, it's, that's not an excuse. But 
they're getting the brunt of all of her frustration with this money. Right. And there was a day when Gertrude's daughter, Paula, she's one of the older ones, told Gertrude that the girls had overeaten that day. They were beaten 15 times with that same paddle because they ate too much food. And I think she kind of had that kind of thought process in her head thinking like, well, your monthly payments are late. You should only be getting this much to eat or you shouldn't be eating this much food because your payment's not here. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what's too much to eat? Like, yeah, extra rice. Like, the kids have, that's not their fault. It's the parents' fault. It's not like it's up to them if when the parents make the payment. Mm-hmm. And they're already tight on money and with the job that they're in, right? it can be harder to get that kind of money that they need and it is in the 60s, I don't really know. I was gonna say, like, what does that equal out to for, do we know? That I'm not entirely sure. So back in 1960, the value of $20 was $205.49 today. So. Yeah, it was a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. That was just a quick Google search, so. <laughs> yes, we wanted to be sure. Yeah. So eventually, as time went on, the focus of Gertrude's wrath and abuse moved almost exclusively to Sylvia due to the fact that Gertrude supposedly became jealous of her and mm. her youth, her appearance, her respectability, and her potential. Mm-hmm. And Paula was becoming jealous of Sylvia as well. And Paula was little heavier set and she was pregnant at the time as well but they were the same age okay and Paula was Gertrude's actual daughter yes okay so she was already a little more heavy set and pregnant so she was jealous of Sylvia's figure and not being pregnant most likely Mm -hmm. so she was often starved or force-fed food to a point where she would throw up and this, this is pretty nasty yep then they would force her to eat it. Yep. So she would get sick and then she'd have to eat it that up again. And Paula once hit Sylvia so hard in the face that she broke her wrist due to the force. And then after she got the cast on and it dried, she used that to beat Sylvia some more. It's just like the demented thinking is just drives me wild in this case. And how do you have the stomach to do this to a child? Yeah, like, I don't even have the stomach to, like, look at somebody, like, throwing <laughs> up or whatever. Like, no. I, I can't. Like, that's why I'm glad that my fiancé is an independent puker when he drinks, <laughs> because I would not be able to deal with that. Right, right. <laughs> but Gertrude and Paula weren't the only ones to abuse Sylvia. Like, Gertrude's other children would do some things to her as well, and even children from the neighborhood. So she would have all these other kids who also were not her children, mm-hmm. all these neighborhood kids coming over to torment Sylvia. She had like no release. She had no, she had no downtime when it came to the abuse and she had nobody to turn to because the neighborhood was ganging up on her. Everybody mm-hmm. in the house was ganging up on her and her new guardian was ganging up on her and her parents were nowhere in sight Mm -hmm. so like where was her safe place exactly what's also really screwed up is all the abuse that sylvia was getting from the other kids and her own kids was really starting to excite gertrude which was super super fucked up and strange disgusting so eventually she started she forced sylvia to strip naked in the living room Mm -hmm. and masturbate with a glass bottle in front of 
her daughter Stephanie's boyfriend. And his name was Coy Hubbard and his friends in order to, quote, prove to Jenny what kind of girl Sylvia was. They disliked her so much that they, even though she was innocent and a child, they wanted to make her something that she wasn't mm-hmm. to make themselves feel better. Yep. Just to continuously humiliate her due to their, their jealousy and overall, like, how could you be nature? How could you be jealous of a child? I don't understand that. Sylvia was later forbidden to attend school at all and was subjected to having her fingers burned. And she was often kicked in the genitals to instill in her the, quote, evils of sex before marriage, even though she wasn't having premarital sex at all. And she was forcing her to masturbate. Like, how contradicting is that? It's almost like she was trying to create some kind of excuse to continue to beat her and continue to just humiliate her. Right, right. Any any direction she had some sort of reason on why she took out abuse on her. Mm-hmm. And when her parents did come to visit at one point, mm-hmm. she never mentioned anything about Gertrude's abuse because if she did, she would get beat even more. So like Gertrude told her, like, don't say a word about this. Like, they don't need to know. If you do, it's just going to be worse for you. So they never knew. And even they'd come to visit and they never had, they had no idea. And just two months after Sylvia and Jenny were sent to live with Gertrude and her children, they ran into their older sister, Diana, in a park. So they had an older Mm. sister. She's probably in her 20s, I believe. And they ran into her in a park. And when they told Diana about the abuse that they'd been suffering at the hands of Gertrude and her children, she believed that her sisters were embellishing on the situation and she didn't do anything with the information the girls gave her. If a child comes to you and says, I'm being abused in any way, believe them until it's proven not to be true. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes children do make up lies. They repeat things. Maybe they hear something on TV and then they say like bad touch or something like that. And it could be completely false. But wouldn't you rather know and be the person that stops it Mm -hmm. rather than just being like, oh, you're a kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Like any kind of comment about that should be taken absolutely seriously, especially when you're a child. So they actually ran into Diana twice. So that wasn't the first time that they had run into her. And that second time, one of Gertrude's daughters was with them. Mm. So Jenny and Sylvia were with Gertrude's daughter, Marie. And because she was with them, they didn't say anything more about the abuse that had been happening to her sister. So the first time that they ran into her was the only time that they ever tried to talk to her about it. And she didn't do anything. She didn't take it seriously. Right. So they just didn't continue with it further, especially with Marie being there. Right. So they didn't want to go any further with that. And Marie had told Gertrude that the girls didn't say anything. So they came back. Marie was like, yeah, they didn't say anything. Mm. All was fine. Yet Sylvia was still given a scalding hot bath in order to cleanse her of sin because she ate a sandwich at the park. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So going back to the whole overeating thing Mm. and then she got beat and now here's this eating a sandwich at the park 
And then she got a scalding hot bath because she ate a sandwich. Way to enforce a potential food disorder from this. Yeah. And as somebody who has dealt with an eating disorder before, mm-hmm. it's, it's... It's happening. It's it, I wouldn't be surprised if it, it stemmed from this because she's getting punished for eating at all or mm-hmm. overeating. And I'm saying that with, you know, quotations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that can be so detrimental for, for anyone, especially someone as young as 16. Cause yeah. that's, you know, that's when your social life is kind of growing and you're trying to find your place and like try to find friends. And so then when that kind of stuff happens at that age, it can get really bad, right? really bad for self-esteem and everything. And because that bath was so hot, Sylvia fainted from the unbearable heat that she felt from that hot water. So in order to wake her up, Gertrude slammed her head against the cast iron bathtub until she woke up. I have no words. Yeah. And a man from the neighborhood called the school to report that there was a girl in Gertrude's house that was being abused. So a neighbor had seen it, or maybe she was, Sylvia was outside and mm. he noticed something was off. Right. So he did call the school to report that, but Gertrude had claimed that Sylvia was, quote, out of control and that she had run away from home. And that's why she was all kind of battered up because maybe she was running away and she tripped on something and fell Mm. or something like that. God. And so the school didn't follow up again. Oh, my gosh. So nothing came out of that. Mm -hmm. So it was the one call and that's all. And some of Gertrude's immediate neighbors who had always viewed her as an ideal caregiver, don't know why, Yeah, but okay. They visited the home on two separate occasions, and on both those occasions, they witnessed Paula, who again is the older daughter of Gertrude, abusing Sylvia and openly boasting about her mistreatment of Sylvia. So she's openly doing this in front of these neighbors. Right. And on the second visit that the neighbors came by, they noticed that Sylvia appeared to be extremely meek and in a somewhat zombified state. Ugh. And despite this, the neighbors never reported any of the observations that they saw. I hate when people don't act on what they see. Clearly, it wasn't just like a suspicion. Yeah, and it they, was twice that they'd seen this. Right. Oh my God, that, that's as bad as being an abuser. Yeah. Just like seeing it and not, not doing, anything. doing anything is just as bad. I mean, yeah. Like, so because of the frequency and brutality of the abuse that Sylvia suffered, she became incontinent and was unable to control her bladder. Oh. So she was denied any access to the bathroom. So she was forced to wet herself, basically. There was nothing else she could do. Oh my God. And when Gertrude had seen this as punishment, she threw Sylvia in the basement and tie her up down there. This is when shit gets real. Yeah. And while she was down in the basement, she was kept naked, rarely fed, frequently deprived of water, and occasionally she'd be tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground. So she'd practically be hanging there downstairs in the basement. And Gertrude even tried to continuously provoke the other children in the house to belittle her and attack her. By claiming that Sylvia had directly insulted Gertrude or one of the children. So she's trying to provoke these other kids to go down to the basement and just continuously hurt Sylvia. Prisoners of war don't even get treated this way. And this girl is 16. 
without as well. and not like not saying that anybody deserves this but she did nothing she really didn't wasn't a bad kid wasn't you know causing all these problems she literally just came to live there because her parents needed to make more money mm-hmm. and this older woman was jealous of her yep. it's disgusting and once in a while, she would even charge the neighborhood kids five cents to see the, quote, display of Sylvia's body yeah. and to, you know, keep humiliating her, beating her, burning her, and ultimately just mutilating her. Yeah. So five cents for these kids to come into the house and just continuously hurt Sylvia for no goddamn reason. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Dude, I watched... I heard of this on a on a podcast before this case and then I found that they made a remake of this case through a movie. Mm-hmm. I hate that I watched it. It's burned into my memory mm-hmm. and it's almost a play-by-play of everything that happened to this poor girl. If anybody is interested in watching the movie, I really suggest you don't because it'll like burn into your psyche. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about an American crime? I don't think so. That's not it. it I might, don't think so. It might be the girl next door. Yes, that I've was seen it. that movie too. You have? I have. Isn't it brutal? Oh my god, it was cringy and like nauseating. Like it was too real for me. The fact that that movie was just like loosely based off of this case is so baffling to me. Like, how can a person actually do this to someone? Especially when they're meant to be, like, kind of that, not necessarily motherly figure, but like a parent, like a parental figure because she's taking them in, housing them, feeding them, taking care of them. And, you know, when you do that, you place some kind of trust in them. Yeah, for sure. You're going to be under their roof, under their protection. So I put my trust in you, and then this happens. It sickens me that a human can do this, truly. And even in, like, that movie portrayal of it Mm -hmm. is just as bad. I mean, you said it was, like, loosely based. Like, if it's just loosely based, uh, my God. Like, even what was in that movie was horrible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So because of all of the beatings and the abuse that Sylvia had been suffering, she had tons of open wounds. And Gertrude would tie her up and place her in a bathtub, again, filled with scalding hot water. And she would rub salt in her Mm. wounds, too. And the other kids in the neighborhood, again, would help her out with this. She's creating monsters. Yeah. Because they're all, like, under, under 16. Right. So some of them are, like, even in the single digits. Right. So they have even the smaller kids she's trying to get Super to impressionable. Like, they, they're probably thinking this is, like, normal. And so he and Gertrude's 10-year-old daughter, Shirley, then heated a bolt and tried to burn an S into Sylvia's left breast. So after she was branded and had those words etched in her skin, she was paraded around the neighborhood. Like... I didn't know that part. They, yeah, they paraded her around the neighborhood like she was some kind of attraction. 
and Gertrude would claim that Sylvia had received the cartons at a sex party. So they'd be walking around the neighborhood and if somebody asked, she would tell them, yeah, she got these at a sex party or even just kind of blurt it out in the middle of the street. She just really, really wanted to... She hated her. She hated despised her. this child for no reason. And at this point, Sylvia knew... At this point, Sylvia knew she was dying. Mm. Like, she was severely weak due to so many different things. Internal bleeding, dehydration, starvation, and shock. Like, right. she, she just knew. And she did attempt to escape, but she didn't even make it out of the house before Gertrude stopped her. And I'm sure she wasn't too strong to really make it like a sneaky attempt to get out, you know? It was Mm -hmm. just like any strength that she had that she can muster up that led her up the stairs or wherever she was. Mm -hmm. And one of those times she didn't even make it up the stairs. Oh God. Like she fell while she was trying to go up the stairs and Gertrude saw her and was like, where the hell do you think you're going? Right. And after the second attempt, Sylvia was forced-fed crackers, but was unable to eat them due to her extreme dehydration. So, you know, crackers are super dry already. Right. And when you're so dehydrated, like, you can't even swallow it. Right. So you're already choking before you even get anywhere with it. And then she was beaten in the face with a curtain rod until sections of that rod were bent into 90-degree angles. So the next morning after she was force fed those crackers and beaten with the curtain rod, she wasn't able to speak correctly anymore. And she was in a constant delirious state. But she did try to make that second attempt after that. Oh my gosh. She tried. And like I said, that second time she couldn't even reach the stairs. Right. And Gertrude caught her at the bottom of the stairs. So she stopped on her head oh my God. before once again leaving her downstairs. In the face. And one of Gertrude's daughters, Stephanie, and one of the neighbor kids, Richard, who was the one that had etched the words into her stomach, they found Sylvia's lacerated body when Stephanie was ordered to go downstairs and clean Sylvia. And the two of them actually started to feel, it's almost like they started to feel bad for Sylvia. It took this long. It took this long. Oh my God. And after everything that they'd seen that they participated in, took this long and they started to feel bad for her. So they gave her a warm soapy bath and dressed her in some different clothes and laid her down on a mattress in one of the bedrooms. And after they had laid her down in there, she passed away on one of the beds in the bedroom. When Gertrude found out that Sylvia had died, she went upstairs to the bedroom and she beat Sylvia's corpse with a book like shouting faker. Like she was calling her a faker because she was like, you're not actually dead. You're just faking this to get out of this or to throw me off. No, bitch, you killed her. This was all your fault. Yes. Like, so days before Sylvia had died, Gertrude forced her to write a letter stating that she had run away from home and the neighborhood boys were the ones who had tortured her and mutilated her and not Gertrude. And she knew Sylvia was gonna die. At some point she knew. So she did this in order to make sure she had some sort of cover story should the police find out about her death. And she also tried to cover Sylvia's body in rubbing alcohol to try to 
mask something. I was going to say, what are you trying to conceal? Like you bash in her head. She is clearly has markings all over her. She is emaciated. She like, I'm sure looking at her, she, you could tell that she was about to die. I think it was an effort to try to remove any kind of, um, of her DNA, like take out any of Gertrude's DNA off of there. I would think that's probably what she was trying to do. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's what a bitch. That's still fucked up. When the when the police arrived at the house, Gertrude told them that Sylvia had come back to the house in her bloody and dying state, and that she was tending to her before she died. So Gertrude tells them, "Hey, she was like this when she came here." I'm just taking care of her now. Like, they were actually going to believe that shit? Right, I was going to say, like, then why didn't she get better? Everybody in the house was questioned about this. Right. And eventually, Jenny, Sylvia's sister, was questioned. And she gave her statement that was pre-written by Gertrude. So Mm. Gertrude wrote the statement for her, and she read it to them. (laughs) And after she was done giving him that statement, she looked at the officer and said, quote, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Good. So Jenny's formal statement, which she gave after that, prompted officers to arrest Gertrude, um, Paula, and Stephanie, and the son, John Banishevsky Jr., within hours of Sylvia's body being discovered by police. So it was all taken care of within a matter of hours when the police came. So at least they took him away. It's just, like, not enough for me. Mm-mm. Like, I know if there is a heaven and a hell to whoever is listening to this, they are definitely, Gertrude, at the very least, has a reservation down there mm-hmm. for the cruelty, the abuse, everything that she put that poor girl through. Mm-hmm. And two of the neighbor boys were arrested on the same charges, too, Good as the rest of them. So on May 25th, 1966, Gertrude and Paula were sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. After their trial, they were sentenced to life. And Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Banaszewski Jr. were given 2 to 21 years in prison at the Indiana Reformatory due to their ages. So they were under 18, I believe, at that Mm. time. So they were given two to 21 years. And Paula was over 18 at the time. So obviously she got life in prison. So did Gertrude. And was she still pregnant when she went to prison? Did she have the kid? Do you know? That I'm not too sure. I would have to double check. I don't remember. Okay. But Paula and Gertrude actually felt like they didn't receive a fair trial. Uh-huh. So they actually were retried in 1971 because they didn't think that their trial was fair. The audacity. Right? Like, it just makes me want to just bitch like Yeah. Like, Truly. And Paula pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and was eventually released in 1972. Bro. So she got out of prison... And technically, if they were sentenced in 1966 mm-hmm. and she got out in 72, she was only in jail for six years. 
but Gertrude received another first-degree murder charge and remained in prison for another 14 years before she was released in 1985. Why let a human being, I'm not, I'm not even going to call her that, why let a monster back into society as if that is something that you can come back from? Especially after 40,000 signatures from residents in the town, city, neighborhood, wherever. They had 40,000 signatures protesting to stop her parole. Wow. But they still gave it to her. And she changed her name after she got out, too. She changed it to Nadine Van Fossen and moved to Iowa. Okay, Nadine. So <laughs> she was like, all right, we're going to change my name. We're going to run out of here. You don't get to just change who you are because you're never going to change. But thankfully, in 1990, she died of lung cancer at the age of 61. So she's out of here. She's out of here. We're she got a first class ticket out. We're done with you. <laughs> <laughs> but on a more on a more pleasant note, mm -hmm. um, Jenny did go on to marry and have two children of her own. So you know she managed to kind of start trying to move on with everything that had happened. But she did spend years on medication for her anxiety. Like, no shit. That was caused by watching her sister's torture and murder. Right? Yes. Which is totally understandable. And a six foot tall memorial stands in Willard Park, Indianapolis, in memory of Sylvia, oh, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. And the plaque on it reads quote, I see a light, hope. I feel a breeze, strength. I hear a song, relief. Let them through, for they are the welcome ones. End quote. It's beautiful. And the Indianapolis Police Department now commits themselves to helping children and keeping the city safe for them. I mean, that should have always been a priority. Kids mm -hmm. are always a priority, but at least more attention is going to be put forth after something so horrendous happened. Mm-hmm. And her death is credited with the adoption of Indiana's mandatory reporter law, mm -hmm. which states that should a member of the public suspect a child is suffering from abuse or neglect, the citizen suspecting the abuse has a legal obligation to report it to the authorities. Yes, you can't just sit idly by and watch somebody abuse a child. You cannot mm -hmm. do that. And a child's advocacy center was officially dedicated to the memory of Sylvia as well. And it was renamed Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center. I love that. So they renamed it in memory of her, which was really nice, too. Yeah. And it was formed with the objective to assist child abuse victims to minimize ongoing traumatic events experienced due to the abuse and to work to prevent child abuse in Boone and Montgomery counties. Okay. So that was the objective of the Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center. And like we had previously mentioned before, there is a 2007 film titled An American Crime that's directly based upon the life and murder of Sylvia Likens. And the film The Girl Next Door is loosely based upon this murder as well. And The Girl Next Door is an adaptation of a 1989 horror novel by the same name by Jack Ketchum. So those are, t those are three different forms of media that kind of touch on this or loosely based on this. So if you're feeling brave, mm. those are 
truly, for you. truly brave. Like, like I mentioned before, the movie that I watched, The Girl Next Door, haunts me to this day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's seriously one of the most fucked up movies that I've ever seen, and I've seen a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've seen, seen ter- a lot. I've seen Terrifier, and that is yeah. nothing compared oh to God. this. <laughs> so, that is the case of Sylvia Likens and Gertrude Vanischewski. The sources that were used to put this episode together was the True Crime Edition, the Indian Encyclopedia, and Wikipedia is what was used to gather this information. Great job. Thank you. Oh my goodness. You just bring in the heavy hitters. <laughs> I, know, I know. Sadly, I know a lot of them. I wish yeah. I didn't, but right. I do. Right. No, I mean, we got to talk about it. Oh, yeah. Especially for those people who don't know about these, yeah. these kinds of cases. Right. Like the, I feel like the more people know about them, the more people can really think about what the world is right. and what the world can be. Yes. And how people can just have a mindset like that. Yes. That's and do so, the things they do. That's so valid because I feel like a lot of people think that 90% of the world is good. And not to say that, not, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be uh, pessimistic, but I would like to say like 30% of the world is like evil. Yeah. Especially when you have individuals like, like, for example, like Jeffrey Dahmer, mm-hmm. like when you would look at him just like walking down the street, you wouldn't suspect that he'd be somebody so fucked up in the head. Right. It could be your neighbor, Larry. It mm-hmm. could be your uncle, Timothy. It could be anybody, really. You don't really know somebody until you actually see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you see something, moral of the story, if you see somebody abusing a child, abusing an animal, abusing somebody that can't defend themselves or anybody at all, it is your responsibility as a human being to maybe not insert yourself because it could cause you some sort of, I don't know, uh, action towards you but report it mm-hmm. don't let that person continue and eventually and potentially lose their life from it mm-hmm. just keep your eyes peeled keep your ears open mm-hmm. and keep an open mind about reporting whatever you see about with that kind of stuff like because you never know what kinds of things happen behind closed doors when you see that kind of stuff happening outside of it right yeah it, you can only imagine what happens when you're not there when you're not present mm-hmm. well like i said great job thank you what a tale what a case and um next week is not going to be any easier <laughs> my case is going to be pretty heavy so if you're into heavy cases uh, welcome to the show <laughs> all right we love you sinners right. bye love you guys. bye All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Nims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a glowing review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.